forth clearly, that we'll have open hearts to hear what God has to say to us today. Grab that mic right there. She just turned off. No, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's tricky. Oh, it's One, tricky. two, three, four. Okay, you're on. I've been over here crying because the Lord's wanting to touch somebody today. If you're not crying for the lost, you need to be. Amen? Someone here needs Jesus Christ today. Brother Steve's going to give us the word here in a minute. Let's listen intently. And Lord, if there's someone here who needs Jesus today, let's do it now. Let's not wait. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our staff. And we thank you for those that served this past week in Bible school. Lord, I was saved in Bible school and realized how important it is. Lord, today as we gather here today, let's lift you up in praise and in glory. But Lord, our, our job and task today is to just praise you and listen to your word and take it to our hearts. And then not leave it here in the building, but to take it with us into a lost world. Lord, I don't know why you burdened my heart so much today, but Lord, I know there's someone here today. And I pray today they might make that decision. Lord, lift up the pastor. Give him the words to say that will not only touch the lost, but touch us that have already been saved and, and allow us to know the truth that can help set us free in our walk with you. Lord, we love you again because you loved us first. Give power and strength to our pastor to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, my brother. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Across our Sunday school, our Bible study hour this morning, our students and adults looked together as one family at the teaching that Brother Dennis read to us this morning from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, down to chapter 2, verse 6. John begins this process of talking about the danger that is coming into their church, into their relationships by these teachers who are bringing a false teaching. We alluded to that last week. It is right from the beginning of his introduction, he begins that process. And so we talked about, can we walk in the light if we're not obeying, if we're not living a life that models that light? Can we say that we have a relationship with God on the inside when on the outside our lives belie that commitment? Of course, the answer to that question is no. We cannot. And the last verse that we studied this morning in Bible study was verse 6 of chapter 2, where John says, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he, meaning Jesus, walked. A lot of you who know me well know that I love looking behind the scenes, beneath the surface, beneath the story, to try to understand what is going on in the world around us. Many of you know that um, in the last probably year, year and a half, there has been a, an abundance of film that has been shot and turned into movies that have been shown across the country that are remakes of classic fairy tales. I don't know how many versions of Cinderella have come out in the last year and a half. Cinderella and, uh, and the, what, in the, the Ninth or something like that, or, and, and there's then another one, in, you know, and there's Ella Enchanted, all kinds, of, all kinds of stories that are remakes. And so I began reading about why that is, and part of the reason for that is because those of us who are baby boomers, as we get older, we reminisce on things that we remember when we were kids. Stories like Cinderella, 
Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, some of those stories. And so what they're doing is they're remaking these stories to speak to an adult audience that are trying to get in touch with what it was like when they were children. And this is probably just another fad. It will pass. The older we get as baby boomers and the more we move off the scene, it will begin to pass. But I think it's interesting how you can take something that you know so well and tell the story from a different perspective and it takes on a whole new meaning. Being a musician, there are pieces of music that I have heard, played, even in some cases conducted for years. The fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the famous Ode to Joy, and you think you know it, you know it well, and you can sing it in your sleep, and then someone comes along and will change the tempo just a little bit or change the way that it's done, and suddenly you hear it in a totally different way. Same thing's true in popular music. There are musical artists today. One of my favorites is Nora Jones, who sings in kind of a, I wouldn't call it a country, almost a folk style, some great classic rock and roll music from the 60s and 70s. But when she sings it with that folk guitar, it takes on a whole new meaning. And so after talking about following and obeying the commands of Jesus in order to live or to, to, to testify that we are children of the light, John begins in verse 7 with a really kind of difficult, I guess, concept. He says, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, now you say, John. Oh, by the way, just a footnote here. If I accidentally say Paul in the message, would you please just wipe that out in your mind and put John there? You know that in the evenings we're studying the book of Philippians, and I am deeply steeped in Philippians chapter 1 right now, so I may slip up and say Paul. But you know, and I know, and you know that I know, and I know that you know that I know that I really mean John, okay? Say, John, dude, you're, you're confusing us. How can you say it's not a new command, and yet you say it is a new command? Well, we've got to begin by saying, well, what is the old command? Well, you've got to go back to when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, without even blinking an eye, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is linked to it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And these new young believers that John had discipled had grown up understanding that if you were going to live a life in obedience to God, it must be dominated and controlled by this dual command of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and at the same time, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. The two are inextricably bound together in one. You can't say that you love God and not love your neighbor. You can't really have true love for your neighbor if you don't really have that love coming out of your love for God. So John says, it's really not new. You've heard this from the very beginning, but... In another sense, it is new. It is a new command. And he says in verse 8, it is a new command which is true in him and in you. And I'm sure when John wrote this, he was thinking back, and you don't have to turn back there, but you might want to mark down on a note or something, a letter to look. In John chapter 13, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I give you a new command. In John 13, 34, I give you a new command Love one another. 
All right, so immediately we begin to hone down this concept of love. Does that mean we shouldn't love people out of the world? Of course it doesn't mean that. But Jesus says, I want to sharpen your focus on what it means to love. And it begins within this little circle of, at that point, still 12 men. I want you to understand that my commandment to you is look out for each other. Love each other. And then just to make sure they understand, he underscores it at the end of the verse where he says, just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. So Jesus himself said, even though this is an ancient command going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, it also is new because I'm going to cast it in a new light, a new perspective, a new picture on an old concept. That's going to become very important in just a couple of minutes. So now John, who is old and tired and reminiscing on his childhood and his young days with Jesus, says, in one sense, this is an old command. Love God, love your neighbor. But another way, it's a very new command. And that is to love one another. And he says this command is true in him. He completed, completed that. And it is true in you partially but not yet completely, because why? The darkness is passing away, and the light, the true light, is already shining. In other words, he says, look, I'm looking in your lives, and I see that the evidence is there that you understand this new command to love, even though you still live with the curse of sin, you still live in a broken world. See, this is what, from the very earliest days of the church, was the the crucible, that's a word I was going to use later, so I guess I'll use it now and spin my nickel now, was the crucible of living basically in two worlds as followers of Christ. We live in the world that has not yet been made manifest because we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we are now children of the light. We are children of that next world, that world that is still yet to come, and yet we still live in this world. And so we have to try to balance that out in our lives, how we can live in this world and yet also Look toward the world that is to come. So what is that love that Jesus has given us? I think you can find the answer to that if you turn the page in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John says one of the most powerful things in all of his writings he lays out for us a model, and if you'll allow me, we're just going to open our hearts up and just talk for a minute about what this says. John says, you want to understand what this new commandment is? You want to understand what it means to truly love? You want to understand why this ancient commandment that goes back 3,000 years is so new for you? It says, this is how we know love. He laid down his life for us. That word, laid down, it is a beautiful word in the Greek. It is like taking off your jacket and laying it down on the floor as if his life was something he could just peel off of himself and lay it down there for someone else. He said, look, you want to understand what the new command is, what the new love is all about. It is about learning what it means to pour out your life for the sake of others. You see, for centuries, 
in the Jewish faith, love God, love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor, until it become a duty. It had become a, a, a deed that you did in order to please God. You worked at it, but you always worked at it from arm's length. You did it out of a sense of obligation to God. And so you would show love for your neighbor, even though you, didn't done it, you may have done it through gritted teeth. You would show love for your neighbor, even though you really didn't have the heart for it. Why? Because God had commanded it. We have to do it. You better do it. You'll be in trouble if you don't. Jesus said, uh, Paul, uh, that boy right there, John. John says, John says, that is not the kind of love that Jesus had. Listen to me, beloved. Jesus did not lay down his life because he loved his father. He laid down his life because he loved you. He died for you of his own free will. No one took his life from him, not even his heavenly father. He poured out his life. He laid down his life for us. So we then, he says in that same verse in 1 John chapter 3, then we should also lay down our lives for our brothers, for one another, for the people that are sitting in this room right now. No longer is this some sort of duty that we perform out of a sense of obligation to God. This now is something that pours out of our lives. It pours out of our hearts because Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And all of a sudden, in a way that we cannot understand, this artesian spring of love and compassion flows out to people. People we would never normally be around at all. Tonight, I'm going to talk about Paul's love for the Philippian church. Have you ever thought about what a mixed up church that was? It sounds like the bunch of guys in the, in the Fellowship of the Ring. You know, you got Lydia and her clan. You've got the jailer, the Philippian jailer and his family. You've got other people from this, this city that all have kind of been pushed together like Gimli and Legolas. I mean, you know, it's like they're not the kind of people you normally would see going down the road together. Have I mean, you ever thought about those nine guys? Four hobbits, two humans, an elf, and a dwarf. And elves and dwarves aren't normally very close friends with each other. And at the end of the movie, what happens? Gimli is inducted into a special order reserved normally only for elves. What a great picture of what the church is like. People who are all mixed up. People who normally would not necessarily think about being together. Some of us are fairly blessed in terms of our financial resources, in terms of the lives we live, the homes we're able to live in. Others of us are barely able to scrape two nickels together, and yet we love each other. And we care about each other. This is the love that God plants in our hearts. It's not a duty that we perform. It is something that pours out of us because we have the love of Christ living in us. And that's why John says in chapter 2, getting back to our text, he says, it is a new command. It is true in him and it is becoming true in you because you are moving more and more. See, I think if John had been here, he would have said, I like that. I like that vision statement, growth in Christ-likeness. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. As you grow more like Christ, you're more filled with the light of Christ's love, and the darkness begins to fade out in your life. I have spent the last several months, and this is where I was going to use the word crucible, so I guess I'll get to use it again. I have spent the last several months, I get a word in my head, I just can't get it out, in the crucible of the objective study of God's word and the very subjective walk of relating to you and to others and, to, and, and trying to begin to understand what it means to truly have this kind of new commandment love. And here's what I've discovered. I have discovered that when we begin to understand what this kind of love is all about, it fills us with a sense of both uncertainty and at the same time a wonderful hope. Well, let me explain what I mean. 
as we begin to grow in our love for one another, we begin to realize that because we live in a sinful world, we've got to be kind of careful or else our love for one another that is so filled with Christ's likeness and so filled with our desire to be with one another and enjoy each other's company, that it can be misconstrued by a sinful world. And so we're saying, well, you know, we've got to be careful. For example, you know, you could have a brother and a sister in Christ that even though their hearts are open and they love each other deeply, because we live in a sinful world, you don't want to do anything that would be misinterpreted. Or two brothers in Christ who love each other deeply and go into business together and yet because we live in a sinful world, you have to be careful about certain things in certain ways. Two sisters that are together and they develop a relationship as they work together on projects or in the community. And yet at the same time, they have to deal with the jealousies and the sinfulnesses that can climb into our lives. So what happens is, and I hope this makes sense to all of you because it sure makes sense to me. What happens is we get these glimpses. Now just, just listen. If, if all of that just sounded like just a bunch of words running together, listen for just a minute. As we love one another with a Christ-like, godly love, we begin to get little snippets of what eternity is going to look like. We feel something well up in our hearts for a brother or a sister in Christ. This thing that just links us, that binds us as one in good times and in bad, in struggles and in joys, in victories and in defeats. And we walk together and then we realize, but we still live in the sinful world, so we have to be really careful how we navigate this love we have for each other. And so we hope and look forward to that day when that love will be made whole and complete. So John goes on to say, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness. Now, I want to make sure you understand, this doesn't mean, well, it, means it's a, it, it doesn't mean a, a, a one-time feeling towards someone. I just hate that person. I mean, that's wrong. Don't get me, don't, don't misunderstand. But this is more like they, their attitude is, you know what, I love God. I just don't love God's people, <laughs> okay? I just don't have a whole lot of love for God's people. John would say to you, you know what, no, you don't. You don't have God's love inside of you because Jesus was able to love those who despised him, those who rejected him, those who did not want anything to do with him. He still poured out his love. He laid down his life for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And so as we are filled with God's love living in us, we begin to share that love out toward one another. In the days that John was living, it was unheard of for people to touch one another except in formal kinds of ways. There were certain handshakes and certain ways that you would greet people. And these young Christians, these new believers, these followers of Christ were known for embracing one another in the public market, embracing one another in the Agora, until there were, there were stories told about how inappropriate their affection was for one another. But you see, they had a love that, that, that bubbled up in them that overcame all of the things that would hold them back except the Word of God and the truths of God's Word. He goes on to say, the one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Some of you probably have a footnote there at the word him that says it could also mean the word it. Sometimes I think the, the, the writers intentionally made things vague. Sometimes it's just the, 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 the way the language works. But I think the Holy Spirit still totally superintends it because the vagueness of it helps us see more perspective on it. Because it could mean because, it's because um, there is no cause for stumbling if you are in the light. In other words, if we are walking in God's light. This morning in our Bible school group, we talked about, have you ever tried to navigate around in a dark room? You don't want to turn the light on and wake your spouse. Your spouse. The next thing you know, you trip over one of the kids' toys or you stub your toe on the foot of the, uh, foot of the bed. Or one of them said, I'm trying to grab the foot of the bed. And I grabbed my husband's foot and instead he goes, what you doing down there? You know. And uh, so, you know, 
But when you walk in the light, you can see clearly and there's no stumbling. There's no reason to stumble. I kind of like the fact that it could, be, it could be the word him. I mean, I think that's what it is. And most translations have him as the preferred translation. Because it says, in a person who is walking in God's love, they will not stumble, nor will they be, called, be, called, be a cause for others to stumble either. Because when love prevails, when this artesian well, this spring of love that comes out of us for one another, this new commandment to love each other and lay down our lives for each other just as Christ laid down his life for us, there is no stumbling. Stumbling comes when the darkness of sin creeps in. Then we begin to stumble. Then we begin to fall. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. He dwells there. He walks in darkness. He journeys there, and he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Beloved, this is a very simple message. And yet at the same time, it is uniquely profound, not because I said it, but because of what John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written to us. Because for so many of us, for so many of us, our journey of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ has been done out of a sense of obligation to God and a desire to please Him rather than out of that artesian spring of love that is fed and nurtured and enhanced and enriched by Christ's love for us and His love for those around us. I am weary. I don't hear it very often around here, but I am weary in my ministry of hearing people say, well, you know, I know I, I love her, but I just don't really like her very much. I understand there are always certain characteristics and qualities of people that maybe makes you not necessarily want to be with that particular person all the time. Some of you think I talk too fast, I talk too loud, and I talk too much. You're right, you're right, and you're right, okay? But I hope that you would never say, well, I love Pastor Steve, but I don't really like him very much. I don't think that's possible. Can I be honest with you? I don't think that's possible. I think if we truly love each other, we say, you know what, I like him. I probably just wouldn't invite him to go camping with me, okay? Because he would talk all the time. And, you know, you're right. Just go ask your camping buddies. But the point of it is, is that as we learned how to love one another, rather than it being an obligation, a duty, a responsibility, it suddenly becomes part of something that is so natural to us. Well, let me close with an illustration. You know what I'm talking about. Back in the days of D.L. Moody, the great preacher in Chicago, there was a young boy, young man, that would walk several long city blocks almost an almost an hour walk to get from his flat his apartment to moody's church where he was preaching and he would pass several churches along the way as he went there and one sunday morning one of the elders or leaders of one of the other churches was standing out in front of the church and greeted the young man and said young man where do you attend church And he says i go to mr moody's church and he said well there are a lot of fine churches between your home and mr moody's church why don't you come this church right here won't you come in and just worship with us and he said well you know sir he said mr moody's church they just got a way of loving a fella What would it be like if people said, I don't care how many churches I have to pass, I've got to be with the people at First Baptist Church because they just know how to love a fella. They just know how to love. 
What would it be like if he was like, okay, if I have to walk there, I will be there because they know how to love a fellow at that church. They know what it means to truly be a brother. They're not just friends with each other. They get together and talk about their latest golf game or their craft project or the book they've been reading. They come together and say, how are you doing? What are you struggling with? Where are you hurting? How can I help you? How can we walk together down this path? I want to love you because I do, because the love of Christ is in me flowing out to you. That's the kind of church that God wants us to be. And that's the kind of church that God has burdened me for us to continue being more and more and more every day. And I pray that will be the kind of church that you want to be a part of and that you want to help build at 320 Covington Drive, Waterloo, Illinois. So help us, God. Let's pray together. Father, this is not some brand new command. The command to love has been around forever. But it has taken on a whole new perspective Because suddenly it is a love that flows out of us that we could no more stop than we could stop our breathing. It flows out to us to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though we understand that there are parameters of of, of culture and our own sinfulness that we have to guard against, at the same time we have an intimacy among us, we have a closeness among us, that we can share deep things with one another because we love each other and we care for one another. Thank you for helping me learn that as I've studied and watched my own relationships and watched my my love for my wife and my children and my brothers and sisters here in this church family and help us to learn what it means for us to take on that new command to love one another until people all over this town, all over this county, all over this part of the state say, you know, that First Baptist Church, they just know how to love a fellow. To your glory, because of Christ living in us, we pray. Amen. If we are walking in darkness, we cannot really have this kind of love. We cannot truly express this kind of love outwardly if in us there are things that are limiting us, if there are selfishnesses and self-centerednesses and, 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 and sins that are living in our lives. You may be here today. Maybe Brother Dennis is absolutely right. Maybe you are here today and you say, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I love people, but this kind of love you're describing is way beyond. You know why? It's because you've never had the lover of your soul live in your heart. Old hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. This lover of our souls comes to live within us when we surrender our lives to him as Savior and Lord and Master of our lives. We stop trying to direct our own lives, start letting him direct it. We ask him to forgive us the time that we've wandered from him. He begins to fill us with his love. And all of a sudden, our perspective on life changes. Our perspective on others changes. Our perspective on our own lives changes. But that's not just true of those who've never accepted Jesus. There are some of us who've been Christians for years. But we're like that prodigal son. We are no more a son in our actions than that young man was in that story of Jesus. We're living far away from the home that our Father has intended for us. We're living far away from the beauty of the food and the comfort and rest that He would want us to live in. Instead, we are eating the slop of pigs. We are living in filth 
spiritually. And we wake up one day and say, how did I get here and how can I get home? We have to just come to him and say, Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Don't let us lift our souls up to anyone else but you. And so this morning as we sing, I want to invite you. If there is sin in your life that needs to be confessed and abandoned, just come right down here and just kneel and say, Lord, I just need you to forgive me. I'd be glad to pray with you if you'd like. We'll have deacons here that can pray with you and deacon wives that will pray with you. Maybe what you need is you need to say, I have, don't have a relationship with God the way you're describing. I've never surrendered my life to anyone. I don't even know what that means. Would you talk with me? We'll pull out my calendar after as soon as we finish singing and set up a time and get together and we'll start talking about what does that mean? Maybe you have a friend or a loved one, a co-worker that you care about, that your heart just pours out for them and you're burning for them and you want to come and pray for them. Lift them up to the Father. Grab a friend and say, let's go to pray together for my neighbor, for my co-worker, for my family member so that they can know this love that we experience. Last but not least, you don't have to come forward to do this. You can if you want. If you say, you know, Steve, there have been times in my life when I felt that kind of love. I don't know what you're talking about. I know what that glimpse of heaven looks like. I have felt my heart go out for someone. I've watched them in a hospital bed, or I've seen them come to Christ and pray, and my heart just was knit to theirs. I know what that's like, but I'm not experiencing that kind of love right now. I don't think I'm in deep, dark sin. I'm just not experiencing it. And you say, Lord, why not? What do I need to do? What is it that's getting in the way between me and you? What is it that's keeping me? being that conduit, that artesian spring, pouring love out for those around Whatever it is you need to do, let's do it right now. Let's stand together and let's sing. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. Turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh God we bow our hearts and our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols.
Say something. George Barna's organization, the Barna Institute, is now run by a man by the name of Dave Kinneman. And Dave Kinneman said a beautiful, beautiful thing. He said, You take a snapshot of any church. This is a generation. This is a generation. From the youngest of us in this room to the oldest, we are one generation. We ask God to let us be a generation that seeks His face. Last Sunday morning, Mark Bertram came and said, I'm giving my life to Christ. I want Him to be my Savior and be my Lord. I want Him to take the pieces of my life and put them back together again and help me to be the man that God would want me to be. And We kind of left suddenly last night. I didn't get a chance to introduce Him to you. Mark, just wave your hand back there. Let's be praying for Mark. And you guys, you guys got to pray for our property and resources committee that we can get our baptistry fixed because the line is getting long for the baptistry. If those of you don't know, we have a major crack in our baptistry and we're trying to figure out how to get it sealed. It's not so simple as my, my Sam will do. Let's put a piece of duct tape on it. You know, it's a little more complicated than duct tape. But, um, but, but we, we just are praying for Mark and that God will continue to work in his heart and in his life. You probably noticed this crowd. Most of you probably know why they're here praying. Somebody said to me, you know, now let's don't make too much out of, out of Kyle going because there's a lot of young people going off to college. And I said, yeah, but you don't usually go to college to get shot at. We send our sons away to defend liberty. And Kyle will be leaving this week. So we want to keep him in our prayers, keep his family in our prayers as he goes. That God would protect him. That God would help him to be a light and a witness to the world around him. Um, there are a lot of lost places in the world. The military is <laughs> a huge one. And so let's, but there's also a lot, of, a lot of believers in the military as well. And he will find them. The Holy Spirit will guide, them, guide him to them. So we're going to bow our heads together. We're going to pray and then we're going to be dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Father, even as this group is gathered here praying for Kyle, we add our prayers as well for him, for his family. We ask that you would be with him as he goes into basic training. We ask that you would guide him to be a witness for you, a testimony for you. Lord, we pray for every one of our graduates. Every one of them is going out into a lost world. Every one of them is going out into spiritual battle. But we just ask that you would 
Help us to love one another and support one another and encourage one another. Let it not be something we do out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of duty. Let it be something that pours out of our hearts. Let us look across this aisle. Let us look across services, from first service to second service, from senior adults to young adults to media adults to children to youth to students. Help us to recognize that we are one generation. We are one church. You have put your son as the head of our church to guide us and direct us into Christ's likeness. And so as we go, may it not be to scatter like a group of marbles, but rather may it be like a net. May we spread out, but at the same time stay connected with one another and with you as we go. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it.